I didn't introduce myself yet. I'm Pastor Evan. Delighted to be here bringing the word this morning. Um, We are going to be in John chapter 11. We've been there uh, for a couple weeks now, and we've got this week and next week left. Um, So I invite you to find John 11. As you're finding that, let's review a couple things that we have seen and will see. The first thing that we've seen in the couple weeks that we've already looked at John 11 is that what we expect is not often what the reality that God is delivering. And we can see that particularly with Jesus. Um, Jesus' reality doesn't always meet the expectations of those who are around him. That's actually a good thing when you think about it. And so we ended last week with uh, the prayer, at least I gave you my prayer that I use and have been using recently, which is, Lord, reorient my expectations to your reality. Because those two, two things don't always meet up. And when mine don't meet up, it's because God's right and I'm not. What we'll see this week, and we have some truths that will come along with it, is that Jesus knows, knew then, and knows now that his reality is better. And we're going to get to what I think are the core two words. The title of the sermon is Jesus Wept. We're going to get to that in John eleven thirty-five. 35. Um, those two words, I think, encapsulate so much uh, of Jesus' incarnation Jesus knew his reality was better, but at that moment, he still showed emotion. And he, we can have grief mixed with hope, and those two things can live together. And I think Jesus demonstrates that for us in a remarkably powerful way. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. I, I think if we really are looking at who Jesus is, we shouldn't be surprised. The, er, the church from early on, even until today, now we've, we've got an orthodox position on this now, but early on grappled with the humanity versus the divinity of Jesus. You know, it, how much God, how much human is there in Jesus? They tried to grapple with this, and we would say and continue to say that he's fully God and fully human. Those two things. And if he's fully God and fully human, of course, there's going to be some emotion that comes with that. That's part of being fully human. I've got two verses that I think uh, say something to that end and lead us into this. One is John 1.11, where, and they won't come on the screen. I'm just going to read them to you. John 1.11 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That's how John kicks off his gospel in that, those first Uh, the remarkable passages. He came to that which was his own. If we just focus on that half of the verse, you can see that's the incarnation. That's Jesus, fully God, fully human, coming to his people in all the fullness he can bring. He came to that which was his own, God in the human body, the incarnation. And for all those who are searching for God, and I can quite guarantee you in all of our lives, we have a lot of people around us searching for God. They're looking, they're wondering, For all those searching for God, he's here. He's here in Jesus. And of course, Jesus isn't physically present with us right now. That doesn't mean he doesn't exist. He's just not here right now. He's here, though, in his Holy Spirit, accessible to us all. God is present and here. There also, though, is a response on our part to the fact that God is here and God is accessible and God is available through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of my favorite passages, Hebrews 13, 11 through 14. It's a little complicated, but we'll get the core of it. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And here's where it starts to, to get important for us. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. 
And here's our response. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we have no enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Being fully God and fully human, Jesus entered into our world, suffered, calls us to that same path to remake us in his image. What we have to recognize is that sometimes life is really hard. Sometimes what we expect doesn't happen. Sometimes there are reasons to grieve. In fact, quite often in this life. And when we get to this passage, Jesus wept, what we can realize is our hope in Jesus is not just for later, it's for now. And when Jesus weeps, he shows that the hope he provides for works right now. He's with us through thick and thin, leading us to more. If we're catching up on the story, what we've seen so far is that Lazarus was sick, then he died. Then last week we saw that Martha, the uh, middle of the three siblings, uh, went out to Jesus as he's approaching Bethlehem and said, Lord, if you were here, my brother would still be alive. And now we're going to see a bit of a carbon copy of some of that again this week in Mary, the older sister. So let's read the whole passage, John eleven twenty-eight through 44. After he had, she had said this, so that's after Martha went out uh, and then uh, she confesses her belief in Jesus. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, Mary comes to Jesus with the same question Martha had, or same statement. Lord, if you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. Who had the correct attitude? As you look at the text, who had the correct attitude? 
I'm quite thankful that the text doesn't tell us either one did. It doesn't tell us they're right or wrong. It's just, it says what they did. And I don't think it tells us that they're wrong in coming to Jesus this way. They just had two completely different ways of doing it. As I reflected on this, I realized that um, probably in the room, we're going to have a, a you know, continuum here, but some of you in the room are Martha's in this particular situation, right? You're going to be get the manager when something's wrong kind of moment, people, right? Go in there, charge in. If you had been here, text doesn't say you're wrong. Some of us are going to be a little bit more like Mary, perhaps gentler and more humble in our approach. But may I just point out, they both went to Jesus. And the bottom line, the truth I think we ought to catch right there is go to God with your deepest concerns. It doesn't tell us one's right or wrong. It shows us they both went to God with their deepest concerns. They went to Jesus and they said, hey, something's not right here. Why isn't it right? They at least can then have the conversation. Jesus can at least address the expectations that were unmet. Verse 28, if we go back a little bit, Martha comes to Mary after she said this. She went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, he's asking for you. We shouldn't read anything more into that other than that there are a lot of mourners. Martha came there and said, hey, you know, let's quietly leave. Obviously, the quietly leaving didn't work because everybody followed uh, and went where Jesus was. But Martha, we see, was bold, as we've already said. Mary was a little, uh, stayed a little closer to home to grieve. Perhaps she's even lost in the emotions much more deeply than Martha. I don't know. But can I just point out, if we're looking at other truths in this, we all need a friend like Martha when things are hard. We all need someone who can come to us and give us a gentle word of direction or reorientation when we're lost in our emotions in difficult times. Because when things are hard, it's easy to look down. It's easy to get lost in those emotions. And by the way, it's normal to get lost in your emotions when things get really hard. We need friends like Martha, good friends who can help us find our way in those moments. Sometimes, just to point this out as well, we need to be Martha to our friends as well and be the one who gives a gentle word of orientation and direction. And we shouldn't ignore that task. I have a little qualification on that later, but let's hear that truth now. Okay, I want to go to verses 20, 32 through 34 because that leads us to Jesus wept right now. Let's look at those again. 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Another truth that we can see here is that God responds when we approach with our needs. So it's not simply that we saw earlier, when things are bad, when, thing, when we're troubled, we should go to God, but we should also recognize that God responds when we approach. I think we see that here. And I want to remind us, we went over this last week, so you can go back and listen to that sermon if you really want and catch up on that, but we have to remember that our expectations will differ from God's reality. So when we go to God with our needs, 
Just because we don't get what we want doesn't mean God doesn't hear us. And I kind of want to say this in a fairly pronounced way. I think if, if we're not, and we can all be this way, we can all go to God and we can say, I want this, we don't get this, we get disappointed, we kind of get frustrated, where are you really, God? That's kind of a juvenile faith. Can we just call it that? It's not a very grown-up faith. And I can do that too, okay? I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself. It's a not very grown-up faith. If we think of it as, okay, I'm a parent, I have kids, over the years, my kids have asked me for all manner of things. I can think to certain weeks in the not-too-distant past where I've been asked for a number of things within the same day, let alone week, that would have, if I would have said yes to all of them, would have amounted to an awful lot of money, right? If I said yes to them, I wouldn't be paying the heat bill, right, or the mortgage. That doesn't mean I don't love my kids. That means I have different things in mind for them than those immediate requests, Fun as they might be in many cases. Just because we don't get what we want doesn't mean God doesn't hear. But, but, it does mean that God is not moved by our emotion and coming to him. God hears us when we come. And we can see, let's look at Martha and Mary a little bit more. Jesus waited two extra days before he came. So we find out in the text that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb for four days, and it smelled. Like, that's, that's an important detail to catch on to. We'll come back to it in a moment. Martha and Mary both had some sense of agitation and sadness and perplexity going on. A lot of emotion that's there in their grief. Why did Jesus wait so long? The text does give us some answers on this, but, but a little bit lies behind the surface. One, we know that he said early on in, our, in John 11, it's so that you'll see the Son glorified. That's what's going to happen here. He re-ups on that a couple times. He also says, so that you would believe. He re-ups on that a couple times. Remember, we said the order matters. The glorified son, we look to him, and then we believe. That's the direction. One other reason that we can point out in this of why he would have waited so long. One, if you do any study on this, you'll hear that, um, or read, that there was a popular sort of folk-level belief in the days of Jesus this is not a biblical belief. I'm not even proposing it that way. Just, it's just out there, though. That the soul stuck around the body for about three days after death, which would coincide with what you do read in Scripture of like a, a period of, of grieving that lasts something three to seven days, and then a period of lamentation, which is the second phase of grieving. Scripture doesn't tell us the soul hangs around for three days. That was just a folk-level belief. And sometimes commentators look at it and say, well, that must have been why Jesus waited. I don't think that even enters into the picture. I'm only flagging that because you'll sometimes see that if you look into this. I don't think that's a relevant detail, but you need to know it if you're looking into this. I think uh, it's a much simpler detail and reason why Jesus waited four days. Uh, up until fairly recently in history, to determine time of death, um, you know, we use heartbeat and some other things to determine time of death. In the ancient world, what did they use to determine time of death? Well, there were a lot of different mechanisms that they used. Not always accurate. But if somebody is in the tomb and smells and has been there wrapped for four days, they're dead, right? There's, this isn't a coma. There's no smelling salts that are going to be brought out and bring this person back to life. Nobody can look at that situation and say, ah, he just said the right words and woke him up in a particular... The guy's dead. There's just no question. And so when Jesus comes and raises him, People have to connect the dots that there's only one power that could do that. Do I believe that that power did that? 
It's either unquestionably God or they just can't see the picture before them. That's why it happens that way. Those reasons, the glorified son that they would believe, and that when it happens, nobody can say, oh, you know what, he just said the right magic words. No, Lazarus was dead and then he was alive. So we can say that Mary and Martha, I think Martha in particular was a little agitated at Jesus, but we can also actually see in the text that Jesus might have been a bit agitated by what's going on too. And I think this is, is important to recognize. So John eleven forty. this one won't be on the screen either, but the next one will be. Uh, did I not tell you that if you believe, Jesus said, you'll see the glory of God? It's almost like there's a little bit of edge to that. Maybe, maybe not, depending on how you read it. But John eleven thirty three. It's, you're going gonna, gonna to come up on the screen. I've got three different translations that are going to pop up there. And so I've got a very old one. I've got a, a slightly older one and then a modern one just for comparison. I'm not actually saying one's better than the other in this case. Geneva Bible, 1599. Um, I thought this one demonstrated it well. That's just right before the King James came out. He groaned in his spirit and was troubled in himself. So when he heard the weeping around him and saw everybody weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled in himself. 1958, Phillips translation, which is not far from the RSV. They're both same vintage. Uh, says he was deeply moved and visibly distressed. So you can see it kind of smooths out any sense of agitation that might be there. And then I read from the NIV, that's up there for comparison, uh, from 2011 update. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, which kind of combines a little bit of both of those together, but still smooths it out. The, the Greek word that's actually behind there, why groaned, I think is probably a little closer than deeply moved, um, is the root of it as, as if a horse snorting in agitation is the root of the word. That's the, the oomph behind the word that's there. That Jesus, there is some sense in which he's troubled, and it's a pretty deep, guttural trouble, whatever is going on there. Maybe it's agitation, maybe it's not. It's unclear from the text. But I think that leads us into Jesus wept those words. John eleven thirty five, 35. Jesus wept. It's a different word in verse 33 for all the people weeping than Jesus weeping. And I don't think it's there because Jesus is holy weeping and theirs is not because the same word in 33 for the other people is used in Luke for Jesus. So it's not that. I think it's just there to distinguish that there's something different going on in Jesus weeping than the people. I think that's all that it's doing. And so it, it leads me to ask the simple question, why did Jesus weep? And then realize as I've looked into it, the answer might be more complicated than we think. I'm, there's, I think there's layers of reasons there that we could distinguish. We could say, why did Jesus weep? We could say that Jesus wept because the mourners around him lacked faith. Maybe. I think the text can lead us to some of that. I think that that's why I read this passage. He, was a little, he groaned in his spirit. I think there might be something to that, a little bit, just a little bit. Um, every, uh, interestingly, every German translation from Martin Luther on pretty much, so from the 1500s on, kind of has that edge to it when it translates all this stuff that Jesus was groaning, he was kind of agitated because they, didn't, they lacked faith, and that's important because a lot of biblical scholarship and commentators come out of that for centuries later. Um, you know, in, the, in Jesus' day, people would pay mourners, that was pretty standard, to come and mourn with them and make loud noises, play the flute, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so sometimes people take this tack that he was, uh, he was agitated uh, because they lacked faith and there were hypocritical grievers around him. They just lacked that faith. I think if that's in there, 
it's pretty small amount of Jesus weeping. Why did Jesus weep? Well, Jesus wept per- perhaps because he knew what his future held. I think that figures in there. I think we see that in the text. I think verse 4 leads us that way. You're going to see the Son glorified. And as we continue to read John, we realize uh, John points us, is, is using that specifically to uh, elevate the fact that it's not simply in raising Lazarus, but it's in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we see Jesus glorified. That's what I think Jesus means by that very thing. Verses 25 and 26, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you're going to live. I think he's getting at it there, too. I think he knows what's coming up quite clearly. And he knows as well that it's going to be a painful reality, even though it's going to be a good one in the end. That probably enters into the picture. I don't think we can discount that based on what's already happened. Why did Jesus weep? Jesus wept because Lazarus was dead and it was sad. I actually think there's a lot there. I think quite probably that's one of the main reasons. Not the main, but I think one of the main reasons. There were mourners all around. We know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were really close friends. Everybody around is grieving. And if Jesus is fully God and fully human, how fully human is he if he can't sympathize with people? If he can't have those moments with his friends? And I think it raises again an important truth that God is with us in our most difficult times. All around, God is with us in our most difficult times. God cares about our earthly emotions. And Jesus demonstrates how much here. And I want to get personal on this because uh, one of the reasons that I I was so taken with John 11, um, again, I have to say it out loud, you know, in October we lost our 13-year-old daughter. Dang it. (laughs) I thought I was more prepared. I should have warned you, I'm going to cry in this sermon. But there's more coming up, so you might cry too. Um, there were a number of passages of Scripture that really, really stuck with me in our initial grieving, and still. One of them was, um, uh, and I won't go into it too deeply, but when, when Naomi comes back after losing her whole family with Ruth, and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara because I'm bitter. I wasn't bitter, but I understood the raw emotion. And I've preached on that before, and I thought, you know what, I'd probably approach this differently now because I understand that raw emotion. But this particular passage, Jesus wept, really carried me through a lot. Because earthly loss is hard. Even when we know our heavenly hope, earthly loss is hard. Thanks be to God that he walks with us, though, right? Thanks be to God that he's there. And we see that in the passage that Jesus wept. Even when things are bad, God is with us, and he gets what we're going through. Jesus grieved. And we need time to grieve 
even when we know our hope in Christ. Because loss is really hard. Those relationships really matter. God gave us those relationships. We should be thankful for that, but it's hard when we lose them. It's hard when we lose many things. It does not even just loss of someone, but things that matter to us. That are massive parts of our identity, job, anything else like that, where, where we go through these times of struggle. Jesus gives us permission to grieve. And even though we know our hope, loss is hard. Emotions are real. And we live in a culture that way overuses their emotions and lives into them. We've all experienced this. We shouldn't do that. My emotions aren't everything. But my emotions aren't nothing either. And if we ignore our emotions, as in times of grief, that bill will come due later. And it won't be good. So we can't go either way too far. But I think one other thing that we as God's people need to recognize in the midst of grief is that we need to do it. And sometimes in in our trying to smooth over the hardness and the difficulty of those rough moments in life, we aim for the platitudes, which are true, too soon. And I won't simply use it in my own life. I've, I've seen it in many other ways. Somebody losing a a wife or a husband, for instance. Oh, he's in a better place. Well, true, but maybe too soon. Because it skips the grief. Or uh, a family, I've heard this too many times in families that have lost um, in miscarriages. Somebody will try and comfort them by saying, you know, God works all things for the good. There's a reason. Okay. Can I grieve first before we talk about that? We're we're trying to make somebody feel better sometimes, but what Jesus demonstrates to us is that even when we know our hope, grief can be there. And we can do it. And as God's people who follow Jesus Christ, we need to live as he did and model that we can live our hope and still grieve loss. And Jesus demonstrates that he's with us. Through the whole thing. Jesus wept. I think there are two more reasons we can compound in there of why Jesus wept. I think Jesus wept because he knew the consequences of sin on the world that he created. And it's a beautiful, good world that he created and sin destroys it. And that's why we suffer loss. And that's why we grieve. I think that definitely enters into the picture. When things go wrong, many people blame God. So as we talk about expectations and reality, people will often say, what I wanted didn't happen, loss happened, anything like that, and they blame God. And particularly at those profound times of loss, when lifespans are shorter than we expect, sometimes we get angry at God. God, why did you take them so early? But frankly, we should be thankful to modern medicine and the creativity that God put in us to create uh, longer lifespans. This wasn't always the case. Our expectations are not uh, necessarily set by what has always been, but historically where we are. And furthermore, we're given life as a gift with no guarantee on how it's going to go. We're given life as a gift, as a good gift, 
And when things don't go as we should go, as, as we want them to go, we should be angry at sin, not God. And the consequences of sin, not God. And sin is the problem introduced by humans, not God. When we experience loss, when we experience grief, when we experience those things, when things are shorter than we expected, when uh, catastrophe comes our way, we shouldn't be angry at God, the giver of all good things. We should, in fact, be angry at the fact that we have malicious neighbors or that there are violent husbands out there. We should be angry at the drug dealer and the shoplifter. We should be angry at the kid who lies to his mom. And at the person addicted to porn, we should be angry at the girl who spreads rumors at school, and we should be angry at the church gossip and the person waiting for the juicy gossip. We should be angry at the person who holds a grudge against their neighbor and the person who holds a grudge against their fellow believer. We should be angry at the woman who tries to keep up with her neighbors, coveting. We should be angry at the man who doesn't return the extra change that's not his to keep. We should be angry at the person who gives the one finger wave at the, on the road, and we should be angry at the person who's selfish, at the one who's entitled, at the one who's ungrateful, at the one who's too proud to apologize. We should be angry at the person who murders, and like all of us, who murders in their heart. That doesn't actually mean that we should be angry at one another and go around fighting. But we all participate is the point in the problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And guess what? That's what we're owed, brothers and sisters and friends. God didn't cause that. We did. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Sin is misusing those good gifts. And only humans misuse good gifts, not God. We're the problem. Which leads us to one other reason that I think Jesus wept. I think Jesus wept because of his great love for Lazarus, for Martha, for Mary, for Thomas and the disciples, for you and for me. Because he wanted to rescue us from that. I think Jesus wept because some of us won't look to the glorified Savior and take that redemption and the good that God has and will still live in his world of sin instead, this world of sin that we cause. Thanks be to God that he sent a Savior to save us from ourselves. Amen? What is life really without hope? And what is hope if we can't taste it now? Jesus says, guess what? I grieve with you, but I'm here to rescue you. Your hope is not just for later. It's for now. Thanks be to God. Lord, Help us not be discouraged by the destruction that we all too often and easily participate in in your world. Help us celebrate the good gifts that you've given us. Even when we experience loss, even when we grieve, even when things don't go as we expected, help us look to you. Lord, for those of us who need to be Marthas to come in and help redirect people to look up at what you're doing, empower us, Lord. For those of us that are grieving, Comfort us. Your word tells us that you will. We see that demonstrated in your son. We know that your Holy Spirit is with us. That you are with us in grief and loss and in the good times. Lord, may we celebrate when things are good and we get to enjoy your good gifts and weep with us when things are hard. 
And may we as your people learn from your son Jesus to walk together through thick and thin, looking towards your hope, but not ignoring the reality of the moment. Praying that your will and your reality would actually be our expectations. Lord, we are thankful today for your redemption. Let us live into it accordingly. Amen.